Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Hello everyone and welcome to this week's edition of the Spanish Football Podcast. It's the penultimate show of the season because we've just had the penultimate round of fixtures. Match day 37, there is one more to go. And basically, most things have been resolved. We know uh, two of the three sides that are going down. We know who's champions. We know who's going to be in the Champions League. Uh, But there's still stuff for us to look forward to on match day 38. Hello, Sydney. Hello, Philip. How are you? I'm all right. How how are you? You're sort of crawling towards the finish line in an exhausted heap and you need to keep a little bit of energy going because you've got to go to Seville for the Europa League final and then you've got to go to Paris for the, the Champions League final. But how, how are you, Sid? How are you feeling? I, I, I've also become aware today, which was always quite likely, that the final round of games will not all be played on Sunday at the same time. So, of course, there's a possibility of more than one game this weekend coming. I think I'll certainly go to either Rio or Real Madrid on Friday yeah. and then and then go to one of the big relegation games on, on the Sunday. Good, good. Where did you go uh, yesterday, apart from to the Wanda Metropolitano? Yesterday I went to Lleida. Yes. Um, to, to, to see... To see... <laughs> To see Numancia play. Yes, it's a, it's a very long way away from, from Madrid, Yeda, and it was an early kickoff on a Sunday. But Sid went to see his friend Diego Cervera play his final ever game for Numancia. That is that is true friendship, Sidney, getting up at God knows what time o'clock on a Sunday. Y- you know what? Travelling halfway was... across the bloody country <laughs> on, on a morning off that you had. And yeah, that was that's you're a good it friend. Was, it was a remarkably easy trip in the sense of the efficiency was extraordinary. I think, um, obviously, a game is, what, two hours long? Yeah. We're basically in Numanthia, uh, sorry, in Numanthia, in Yeda for about three three hours, three and a quarter hours at, uh, at tops. We managed to, managed to, the trains hit perfectly. And Yeda's actually a very easy trip for Madrid. It was only two hours and ten minutes on the train. Good. I'm glad it all worked out. Uh, here's what happened on uh, match day 37. And there was one game that was played on Saturday. It was the only game with literally nothing riding on it. I think on the bonus podcast, what do we call it? The El Nothing Co. Uh, <laughs> the Nadico. The Nadico. Uh, it was Espanol 1, Valencia uh, 1, uh, although quite a lot. Is it all right if I admit that I haven't even seen the goals from this game, let alone the game itself? Uh, it's all Can right admit to admit that? that. Yeah, I'm just trying to remember the goals. I did present a whole programme around this game on Saturday on La Liga TV, and, and I can't remember the goals, which is bad. I'll, I'll, I'll admit that. But yeah, it wasn't a game that lived long in the memory. Although stuff is happening at both of these clubs uh, off the field uh, with uh, yeah some uh, interesting things going on at Valencia. Let's see if we get time to, to touch upon them. Anyway, then on Sunday, Athletic Club beat Osasuna 2-0. Uh, Atleti and Sevilla played out a 1-1 draw. The point was enough for Sevilla to secure Champions League football. Betis beat Granada 2-0. Betis definitely in the uh, Europa League. Granada still not safe. Uh, Celta beating Elche by a goal to nil. Mallorca 
Gorka scoring in the 92nd minute. Abdon Prats and his mighty moustache scoring what could be a massive goal for them. They're out of the relegation zone on goal difference because Cadiz could only draw 1-1 with Real Madrid in a game that Cadiz really, really, really should have won. But they didn't. Uh, Getafe and Barca played out a very, very, very predictable draw because Getafe needed a point to be safe. Barca needed a point to be second. Finished nil-nil. Levante... B. Alaves, already relegated Levante, B. Alaves by three goals to one. Alaves joining them in the Segunda División next season. Uh, Villarreal were beaten 2-1 at home by Real Sociedad, uh, which means that Real Sociedad are in the Europa League. So what is left to play for on the final day of the season? One of three sides are going down, are joining Alaves and Levante. It's either Cadiz or Mallorca or Granada. And we've also got either Villarreal or Athletic Club in the Conference League. So that's what's on the line uh, in the final weekend of the uh, of the season. Remember the last Monday podcast of the season will be next Monday, May the 23rd, which is after the final round of La Liga games. But as always, we'll be putting all summer for patrons at patreon.com forward slash TSFP, talking the Champions League final, the Segunda playoffs, transfers, the managerial merry-go-round, looking ahead to next season. We guarantee one pot a week over the summer, but there's always so much breaking news that it often turns out to be two. Come and join us. It's just over four euros a month. Uh, we'll start with the game that, that Sydney was at because nine games took place at the same time on Sunday. All those games, apart from Espanol against Valencia, kicked off at the same time, which was brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. I mean, maybe not brilliant if you were at one of those games because you were just focused on, on that game, which means that you weren't necessarily fully ensconced in the madness of what was happening elsewhere, Sid, but you were watching Atleti against uh, against Sevilla. We'll talk about the madness elsewhere in, in just a moment, but this was the big game of the weekend. Atletico won, Sevilla won, and it, what a big goal from Endesiri, which he scored later on to guarantee Champions League football for Sevilla. Because if he hadn't... Could have been a really, really nervous final weekend of the season for Lopetegui's side. Yeah, it really could have been. And I think that was demonstrated in the way that they responded um, at the end of the game, coming up the tunnel, um, because we'd, we'd set up for the post-match interviews, which is in the players' tunnel at the Wanda Metropolitan. Coming up the tunnel, the, the, the Sevilla players were all kind of very hearty back slaps and, and big hugs and lots of shouting of Ostia, vamos, and really, really pleased that they'd got this Champions League place. I think they'd felt under an enormous amount of pressure in the last few weeks as it had started to look possible that they, they could relinquish this. As Obviously, the other risk being that the team that could have taken it off them was, was Betis. Um, that possibility still wasn't that strong because, of course, Betis go to the Bernabeu in the last round of games and would have had to have won there. But Sevilla could have been in a position where they'd gone into the last game not knowing if they were going to get that final place. This goal secures it for them. And I thought the reaction was very interesting um, because you had Julian Lopetegui Ivan Rakitic and all of the Sevilla players and, and it, it felt almost like there'd been a very concerted and deliberate effort to put the message out there that this is a success, that this is the one thing you can really ask for from Sevilla is the Champions League place. It's three years in a row now, that's historic and Lopetegui used the word historic three or four times. That's historic, this is a, 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 you know, a reasonably big achievement for them and yet of course it's become normalised which in itself is significant. You know, in itself, that's a big achievement. Um, but it, but it's very, very true. I think that had they not got this, then this season would have felt ultimately really very poor indeed. Uh, we were talking about this the other day. It's uh, only two wins in La Liga since they since they won the derby against Betis. I believe it's only four wins in the last seventeen 
in, in La Liga. Now, there's not many defeats in there. I think it's only two defeats in there. It's just so many draws. And, and this was very, very significant for them. In a game in which, in truth, I, I wouldn't say they didn't really create very much Sevilla because although they didn't nor really did Atletico and actually the better chances were Sevilla's you had an Enesiri header against the bar you had a very clear chance from him in the first half when he's played clean through in a kind of inside left position and he scuffs it slightly wide and so Sevilla I suppose maybe that's their season in a nutshell when they have created chances which hasn't always been loads of them but when they have created them they haven't taken enough of them. Correct me if I'm wrong because I don't have the stats in front of me. But I believe that was only El City's fourth goal this season and only three of those in La Liga. And, you know, this is their main striker. Now, look, he's had injuries. He's been at the African Cup of Nations. And so so they're, they're, there's very definitely an asterisk by his name. Five of course, goals. Rafa Mir has played Five yeah. goals, is it? Sorry. Yeah. Right. Rafa Mir has played, has played ahead of him on occasions as well. But it has felt like there's been an inability to make the most of the chances they do make and also perhaps an inability to make more chances over the course of... Certainly over the course of the, the back end of the season. Maybe, maybe not, not so much the first half of the season. What about the future of Junior Lopetegui? Because there were reports uh, at the weekend yeah. that, that Diego Martinez is being tapped up to replace him. Well, it's very interesting, this. At least I, I think it's interesting in terms of the reaction to this because you had uh, Monchi, who, of course, is a sporting director, coming out and reacting unusually angrily for him because he's actually normally quite good with the media. He's, he's, he's a good talker. He, I think he understands the job that the media, media do. I think he's aware that, that actually he's not been someone that they've really attacked, which probably helps. But he was quite angry at the weekend he was saying look this is you know this is people try-. and he used that classic phrase which I, I think we probably need to spanishify um to understand that it's maybe not quite as strong in spanish as it sounds in english because in english i think it sounds terrible and incredibly paranoid he said you know people are doing this to destabilize the club now i think in spanish it possibly doesn't carry quite the same weight as of paranoia as it sounds like in english that phrase it's more like you know these are just people who are kind of causing trouble rather than actually you know a concerted effort to destabilize the club but he said that this this isn't true that nothing's done with diego martinez that it's not true that lopetegui is is, is definitely going um you've got the president of the club last night uh, jose castro saying it seems that it annoys people for us to be a good team well i can tell them we'll be back next year and i must admit i thought to myself I just don't think this is true with the exception of Betis yes. I don't think it annoys anyone that Sevilla are a good team I really don't um, and, and, and I thought that was a, a, an unexpectedly I think we, sort of edgy response we're seeing this more and more aren't we with clubs they want to sort of create an environment where they're seen to be fighting against these dark forces who are yeah. who are against them I, against them triumphing but they are triumphing in the face of evil I, I don't guess, know I guess look if that is a policy to create this kind of siege mentality which of course lots of coaches and clubs have done over the years and done quite successfully then I suppose at that point you say okay I understand it at that point it probably becomes a bit more irritating to be honest because I actually think it's unnecessary and if you're doing it deliberately then it's more irritating than if you've just occasionally lost your head and as I've said lots of times I'm amazed that people in football don't get more angry more often given the degree of pressure they're under given the exposure publicly and so on. Um, so on to the specifics of Lopetegui. One of the things that I thought was interesting post-game was that no one was prepared to say, yes, he stays. Now, we had a couple of the players say, Julian's really important and we want him to be part of this. Uh, I think uh, Ivan Rakitic said that. Um, Gudel tried to say something a little bit less committal, but more or less the same. But Lopetegui himself 
didn't take the opportunity to say that directly. He said that now wasn't the time, now we enjoy this and we, we, we think about things in a few days, but this isn't the moment. And it felt a little bit to me, and again, look, this is interpretive, it's not informative. It felt a bit to me like, actually, there was an admission there that there's a strong chance that he doesn't continue. And I guess, you know, after three years of Champions League qualification from him, that slight sense of a step backwards this year Maybe, actually, it wouldn't be a terrible thing for everyone to, to, to move on. And much as that sounds possibly a bit harsh. Uh, let's talk about someone who is moving on. Uh, Luis Suarez, this was his final game at the Wanda Metropolitano for Atletico Madrid. Do we know where he's, where he's going, Sydney? We don't. He's got offers. Uh, Do you know, know where he's going? No, I don't, I'm afraid, no. Okay. We, he's got offers. He, he has places to go. His idea remains that he wants to play in Europe. He's very focused as well, of course, on the fact that there's a World Cup uh, in the winter. And I think this, by the way, is, is going to be a recurring theme for a lot of players because obviously we've had the fact that this World Cup changes the timings of everything that, that players think about in terms of their future, in, th- in terms of what they do next and so on. And, and I think, and I think uh, he's very conscious of that. So the intention very much will be to continue to play and to continue to play in Europe rather than has been suggested by lots of people lots of times that the MLS is the destination. Now, obviously, that will depend on the quality of the, those offers and, and, and how seriously he, he takes them and, and, and how big the clubs are that come for him. Uh, he was in absolute pieces. He was crying his eyes out. He was obviously very, very moved by the warmth of the farewell from the Atletico Madrid fans. Yeah, I mean, he's quite an emotional man anyway, um, and, and, and we've seen this before, but I think he was. He was there with his, with his, with his three kids, his wife as well. Um, they gave him quite a nice kind of guard of honour onto the pitch. There's been a, there was a big banner up, at, up on at one end, which actually went up during the game, not just at the end with the celebrations. It said, thank you for making us champions. And I suppose he's been a very strange sort of... Um, well, I'll use the word. He's been a strange sort of legend for Atletico Madrid in that this is a guy that's come along, only played 82 games, unless, of course, he plays next week, in which case it'll be 83, um, and goes away again, having had the best season he's had at the club during the pandemic when there were no fans there. And yet I think there's something about him and the way that he plays that really fits Simeone, that obviously led them to win a league title, which for Atletico is massive, and I think we should never lose sight of just how big that was, that really, I think, works for Atletico fans, that really feels like he's one of them. And I think the overriding feeling with Atletico fans, more than anything else, is probably, it's a pity this guy didn't come three or four years earlier. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Uh, but which, by the way, was always how I felt with Ruud van Nistelrooy at Real Madrid. Always felt with him oh, this yes. was a, a one-season, really high-level player, but that everyone kind of knew that if we'd got him sooner, he could have done really incredible things. Um, as we said, all well, nine games were being played at the same time. There were goals flying in everywhere. It was an incredibly exciting uh, afternoon of football. One of the most exciting places was at the Estadio Nuevo Mirandia, Cadiz won, uh, Real Madrid won. Uh, all sorts of permutations were going on throughout the uh, course of the uh, afternoon, evening, and in the end, Cadiz have ended in the bottom three because of Mallorca's 92nd minute winner from from Abdon Prats. But Cadiz, they really should have beaten Real Madrid. Alvaro Negreira had a number of chances, not least a penalty that was saved uh, by Andri Lunin. So it's a it's a shame for Cadiz, who really 
really could have had their own future in their own hands had they beaten Real Madrid, a much weakened Real Madrid. There's actually quite a bit to talk about. I mean, we could talk about Cadiz. Uh, I want to ask you about uh, Andre Lunin as well, who had no idea how good he was. Literally no idea. Never seen him play. And he actually looks to be a pretty decent keeper who probably should be playing at this stage of his career. I want to talk to you about Rodrigo as well, who started and set up the goal for Real Madrid with an absolutely sensational assist. And do we think he is gaining traction to perhaps start in the in the Champions League final. So there's a lot for us to, to talk about. Let's let's start with Cadiz though and, and those missed opportunities. Yeah. They they really, really had it in their own hands and they and they blew it, I guess. I, I correct me if I'm wrong, I think I saw the statistic which was they'd taken twenty one shots by full time. Wow. Um and, and and that's a lot against Real Madrid, even if a lot of those are, you know, not genuinely troubling anyone. And that's that's always the, one of the problems with shot statistics. Sometimes it can be a team that takes a lot of rather hopeful shots from 20 yards. And it doesn't mean very much. But but you're right, they had the chances, in particular the the penalty. Um, I, I feel a bit for Cadiff, as, as Sergio himself said, you know, it's, it's out of our hands. And that's the thing here, is that they went 1-0 down to, to a Mariano goal, of all people, so early on. They then carried the game... Or, or tried to carry the game. Maybe carried the game is a little bit strong, but tried to carry the game to Real Madrid, created sufficient chances to get themselves back level, to then maybe have won it. But even then, you're thinking, OK, a draw is all right from their point of view because they're still in a position where on the final round of games, and obviously we'll look at this a little bit more in depth in a minute, in which the three teams involved, I think, all have games that on the face of it, they'll think, we can win this. And so if your fate is in your own hands going into a final game that you think you can win because Cardiff go away to Alaves who've just gone down. Um, and it's still in their own hands. You think, well, OK, it's all right. And then what happens, of course, is that they find out, I, I don't know actually how quickly they found out, but they find out that, that uh, Mallorca have scored in the 92nd minute. They then have that ball into the box on 95-30 or whatever it is. Yes. Then the potential penalty, which is the very last thing that happens. Now, first things first, I, I think it's not a penalty. But it's a very risky challenge from Carvajal, who sort of jumps in quite high on, on Fali. And I think he gets the ball first and then sort of slightly comes across Fali's body. But the thing that I thought was strange about this was just basically the way it happened. Because you get this moment where, basically, Madeoloth stops the game. And he stands there in the penalty area with the ball under his arm and his finger in his ear. As if to say, right, that's it. And obviously that is what he was saying. The game is over unless they tell me this is a penalty. And so you have this kind of, what would you call it, a minute, maybe a minute and a half of everybody sort of standing there going, what's he <laughs> doing? You know, could this be the salvation that we need? And then, I mean, in a sort of comedy way, I quite enjoyed Matteo Loft's way of indicating that, no, this really was the end of the game. And his way of indicating this really was the end of the game was to kick the ball towards the tunnel <laughs> and essentially invite the players to follow it. <laughs> Just like, and, and so I felt for, for Alavest, uh, sorry for Alavest, for, for Cadiff, partly because, of course, that they are a victim, I think, of not being attacking enough earlier in the season. And I'm not going to claim that Sergio has had them going all out for teams. He hasn't. But this is a manager who has at least had them try to score goals. And in the last few weeks, there's been a couple of moments when you felt it's just about to fall for them and it doesn't quite happen. And this was another one of those occasions. That said, of course, we should caveat this by saying, of course, they were also very fortunate to be playing Real Madrid at a time when Madrid didn't need to win to win the league. I mean, that, that, that obviously is the context of this as well. That is true. And it was, as we said, a, a much-changed Real Madrid side. There was no Benzema, there was no Vinicius, there was no Modric, there was no Courtois, uh, which is why the likes of uh, Mariano were, 
was starting. Also, Jesus Vallejo playing right back and Lucas Vasquez playing left back, which was a little bit strange. Didn't see that one coming, but Carlo Ancelotti decided to experiment a little bit. Before that Champions League final, Rodrigo, he's had quite a last four or five weeks. I mean, domestically, he's performing really good. In the Champions League, he's always seemed to have gone up a level. And in the last couple of weeks, we've seen him uh, be uh, spectacularly good. I think we've touched upon this before, whether or not he is that man to play in that uh, number 11 position because we know we basically know the 10 players that are going to start and then it's either him or Valverde really isn't it so um, but I don't know it's, it's he's got a chance well, Ancelotti had a an chance. answer didn't yeah, he yeah he said they're but, both going to play but Ancelotti of course yeah Ancelotti exactly was of course hide, well not hiding behind but, but using the fact that players can play even if they don't start that they will both play I still find it difficult to imagine a starting 11 that doesn't include Valverde especially against a team like Liverpool um, because I think that energy, I think that physicality, I think the, the, the amount of ground that he covers, I think the, the drive from midfield, which we particularly saw in Madrid's last, last home game, when he, he hit the bar, what was it, well, he hit the, hit the woodwork what, three times, wasn't it? And, and each time it was kind of him bursting through, and he's got that, which I, I've always really liked about his game, but it doesn't always naturally fit with the three, which is why that right-sided position sort of works. Although, in fairness, I think I, I kind of need to back away from my own analysis of this, because we talk about it being a, a three plus one. But actually, in the last game, they very clearly put Cruz alongside Casemiro and played a 4-2-3-1 with Modric further up. Yes. And Valverde was much more of a natural right midfield or at least the right side of a line of three rather than the right side of the top three, if you see what I mean. Um, but I think in the final, I just find it difficult to foresee a position in which, Val, uh, sorry, a structure in which Valverde doesn't start. That said, I suppose, are we now opening the possibility that they both start and that one of the midfielders loses their place? Does, does Tony Cruz potentially lose his place? I mean, he, he won't, but it, it is a possibility. I don't think he will. Yeah. I agree with yeah. you. I don't think yeah. he will. No. Uh, Andre Lunin as well looks like a decent goalkeeper. but you saw a little bit of him at Oviedo when he was on mm. loan there. But the problem for him is that Thibaut Courtois is going to be number one at Real Madrid for the next 10 yeah. years. So, you know. Well, that's the thing. I mean, as a goalkeeper, it's un- obviously unlike any other position. If you don't play, you do not play. It's not that you get some minutes here and there. I mean, the you know these last two or three games have been really big for him. There was the statistic before the last game, which is his first league start, that he played three games for Real Madrid in his entire career, none of them in the league. Uh, he'd, it was a 1,400 and something days since he joined the club. And those three games, 66% of them were against Alcoyano. In other words, two of the three in the Copa del Rey. The other one was against Elche. Yeah. So, 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 you know, he hasn't had the experience that, that you would want no. at Real Madrid. In fairness, and I think here's the, uh, the, the narrative alert. When he was on loan at Valladolid, Sergio, the manager of Cadiz, who he's just denied a victory to, didn't really much like him yeah. and didn't play him very much. And he only played in the cup at Valladolid as well. Yeah. So there's a sort of a little bit of a narrative there. Uh, Real Oviedo, I always felt like you could see that this was a goalkeeper who, in terms of the quality of some of the saves he made, could be very special. But I must confess, I also felt like we were watching a young goalkeeper. So we saw a goalkeeper who didn't always look completely secure. Uh, I was watching La Liga TV's multi-goal coverage, which meant that every time there was a goal or a chance, the coverage switched to that uh, game. And so you didn't see any game in its entirety you just go around the grounds and see what's happening which I quite like and we only do it to, uh, yeah, it's fun, isn't we do it, it twice, it fun, twice yeah. a season so um, uh, I quite liked it <laughs> we basically saw 
nothing from the Getafe Barcelona game. Like genuinely nothing. I was looking at the stats uh, post-match and Barca had one shot on target. But more sort of striking... (laughs) Barca made one foul during this game. And Getafe only made nine fouls, which for them is the same as making one foul for, for Barcelona. I think it was a, a decaffeinated game, this one. I think it's fair to say. Yes. With Barcelona missing a whole host of players uh, at, at the back. Pique, Araujo, uh, Alba, obviously no Nico, no, no Pedri. Lots of players out for them. <laughs> They've got a point. They've got second. They're, they won't be too unhappy with that. No, and, and Getafe got the point that absolutely guaranteed they would be safe mathematically. Of course, they basically knew they were safe, but mathematically made it safe. And I think that's the that's the bottom line here. Barcelona weren't really bothered and Getafe were quite pleased that Barcelona weren't bothered and, and weren't really going to do anything to make them bothered, if you see yes. what I mean. Um, and so, so I, I think this was a fairly inevitable draw. A uh, fairly inevitable draw. It looked like Mallorca against Raya was going to be a... An inevitable oh. draw as well until Abdon Prats pops up in the in the ninety second minute. Brilliant scenes of celebration. He was basically in oh, tears after scoring that goal. Yeah. He is a Mallorca fan, born and bred. Used to go and watch them uh, as a boy. Scored the uh, the goal that got Mallorca promoted in twenty nineteen, and now he scored another massive, massive goal. Hasn't scored many goals in between those two. Uh, he's not he's not been particularly prolific old old Abdon, but he's popped up with some with some interesting, with important goals. And um, Javier Aguirre, pretty funny post-match, as, as he generally tends to be as well. Yeah, I, I, I love listening to Javier Aguirre. I, I, I like the fact that he was asked after the game, um, not not in the immediate flash interview, but then in the press conference, said, you, you, at the end of the game, you ran straight down the tunnel. You don't normally do that. And there was a pause and he said, do I tell them the truth? I mean, he said out loud, do I tell them the truth? He said, okay, I'll tell you the truth. I was busting for a week. <laughs> <laughs> Which I thought was brilliant. And then there was this little pause again. He said, look, I'm 63. Some of us can't control it that well at this age. <laughs> Which, which I thought was great. But the, the, the main thing was that he was saying post-game that he said he had decided that he didn't want to know what was happening in the other matches. He didn't want his players to know, but he didn't want to know either. He said, because if you know that, too much of your focus is on the other games and you make bad decisions and you, and you, kind, of, you kind of hold back depending on what's going, going on and you can't do that. Now, I suppose the one flaw in that argument, um, you know, there's lots of flaws. One of them is it's quite useful to know what else is going on. But I suppose one flaw is that actually his team didn't play like a team that was just going all out anyway. And he admitted that in the second half, certainly after Pathé Cis had scored, that his team was, he said, he, tried, he, he started to use the word frightened. He said, not frightened, he said, but, but inhibited. He said, uh, he said we, were, we, we just can't, it wasn't kind of quite happening. Then he makes a few changes towards the end. And of course, they start to go for it. But it does look at this point like it's not going to happen. They then have a free kick, which hits the crossbar. But right on one side, well, obviously right on one side because it's a crossbar, but it's right where the crossbar joins the post. And there's a part of the ground that thinks it's in and kind of jumps (laughs) up and goes, oh, it's not. The good news was it took only, and you know how I love doing this, only 49 seconds between it hitting the post and then getting another chance, which, which Pratt's puts away. And he puts away very nicely. As you say, he doesn't score a lot of goals. This is a guy who's in his third spell at the club. Um, each time he's left it hasn't been because he's wanted to and essentially he gets the chance to go back to Mallorca because they go down to the Segunda B so in other words they come down to his level if you see what I mean yeah. and then of course he's part of that team that wins Segunda B wins well doesn't win them but goes up from Segunda B goes up from Segunda into Primera he suffered three relegations and enjoyed three promotions as a Mallorca player in the last what would that be seven years eight years yeah 
Um, and he doesn't he doesn't want to go for any more, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Let's see if he, if, if he has to. Uh, but Mallorca certainly have... Their... I liked his line. Did you hear his line after the game? Uh, which one? So he said after the game, I've done perhaps... I mean, he was talking about how, you know, he said this was magical, it was amazing, there's no way of describing this, there's nothing I can say. But then he said, look, I really want the fans to come to this game. He's saying, you know, that what that, what's that phrase? Agon llamamiento. I'm, I'm, I'm calling for the fans to go to this game, to go to Pamplona with us. And he said, look, leave it to me. I'll speak to your bosses so you don't have to go to work on Monday morning. <laughs> and I now have this great image of Abdon Pratz on the phone ringing every factory and every shop and every office in the whole of Palmer and saying, listen... Dave's not coming today. Barry's not coming today. Brian's <laughs> not coming today because they're all in Pamplona with us. Uh, it is uh, Osasuna against Mallorca uh, next weekend. If Mallorca win that, they are safe. That is the uh, pretty simple equation for them. Uh, Alaves are down. They are bottom as well now after being beaten by Levante. Fitting because I've been saying this for a while. I think they've been the worst team in La Liga. So far this season, and in terms of a project, there is no project. They've had 10 coaches over the last six years. They've averaged three coaches. They've had three coaches this season, three coaches last season. Uh, It's been pretty shambolic, not just on the pitch, but off the pitch as well. This was always coming. They've had six years in the Primera División. They are down this season. And like I said, uh, they've been the worst team in in La Liga for me. And this has been coming. Yeah, and, and even when they were put in a position where the fixture list was kind to them, we mentioned this briefly the other day, they haven't been able to take advantage of it. You know, they, I, I, I never want to say the word should in football because you compete and things can happen and, and, and even bad teams are good teams. But you should beat Levante when you're in the position that you have to. You really should. And when you go 1-0 up. You know, that's not the kind of result that you should lose. And, and post-game, Joselu said, you know, we're, we're just not worthy of the first division. And... and you know, he has to say that, I suppose, but he must be thinking, well, the rest of them aren't. You know, he's got 14 of their 31 goals, and my maths isn't great, but that's only just short of half of them. And, and you know, they really haven't been good enough. They haven't been creative enough. They don't have any football. And I think you're, I think the, 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 the structure thing is really interesting. Um, I'm going to let you into a little secret, or let our listeners into a little secret. I think I've probably told you this before. Earlier in the season, I went up to Vitoria. Um, I went to see Pelistri and did an interview with him. But then I went back about a week or so later, having spoken to them, because I said, oh, I wanted to speak to Javi Calleja, the manager. Because at that stage, I'd been quite impressed by the fact that they had such a terrible start with him and they'd stuck by him. And then they started winning. And they won, I don't know if they won four out of six after a really bad start where they hadn't won in something like six or seven. And, and I, I went to speak to him and I was talking to people. And I think I remember saying to you off air at the time, but I was surprised by Javi Calleja because on television I'd never thought of him as being particularly impressive, to be perfectly honest with you. And yet meeting him, I thought he was much more charismatic than I imagined, much more of a leader than I imagined. And there seemed to be a sense that actually they'd understood that if they gave him time, this would eventually work. And they, and they were coming through this. And I'd gone there basically on the pretense of doing this idea of doing a piece about the idea of patience and how it works and, and what they've done. And he talked really well about how the club had backed him and all this kind of stuff. And we didn't do it as an interview. We just did it as a kind of, let me see you train, let me talk to you and so on. And not, not many clubs will allow you to do that. And, you know, I'm grateful that, to, to Alaves that they did. Anyway, that weekend they lost. And so I didn't write the piece. And I thought, well, it's all right, because in a couple of weeks they'll, you know, they'll win and they'll win two or three after that and we can do it. And they just carried on losing. <laughs> and, then, and then about four weeks later they sacked him. And I thought, I really hope this wasn't me that did this. 
I mean, it wasn't all you, but I think you, play, you probably played a part. No. You probably did play a part. I probably should hold my hands yeah. up here. Yeah. Uh, apologies to, uh, to Alaves fans. All right, who's staying up, Sydney? Cadiz, Mallorca and Granada. Oof. I think Cadiz go. Yeah. I think Mallorca and Granada stay up. I suspect, I mean, look, who knows? Gr- Granada are playing th- Espanol at home, by the way, which is the game that you want. If you yeah, want to I, think, I think all three of them will win their final game. I think that's the thing here. Um, I suppose on the face of it, Pamplona is the hardest of the three. Pamplona away against Osasuna, even an Osasuna team that have that have already um, stayed up a long time ago, that are very satisfied with what they've done so far, that might make changes. I think even that Osasuna team will make a game of it. Although it is true that from a fan point of view, Osasuna fans would very much like Javier Gide to survive. This is the guy that took them to the Champions League. Yes, certainly is. Uh, back he goes. Oof, what is it? 15 years later, trying to keep... Yeah, I think it was 2007, was it? Or maybe even earlier. No, 2005, I think it's 17 years later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Look at you showing off with your mental arithmetic. (laughs) Showing off my maths. My rudimentary arithmetic. All right, all right. Uh, Listen... we're just about running out of time there's lots of other stuff that we didn't talk about on today's show if you want to ask us a question please do so we will answer it on tomorrow's Q&A podcast for patrons Uh, in the Segunda with two games left to play leaders Almeria are two points clear at the top they beat Real Sociedad B 2-0 on Friday Eibar a second and Valladolid are two points behind them in third Girona lost 2-1 at Sporting which means Oviedo are now fifth Ahead of their game with Zaragoza at the Tartiere tonight. What a big game that is for the mighty Ray Loviedo. Fifth, um, but also with the teams just outside the playoff places still just as close and right, breathing right down our necks with, of course, a trip to Las Palmas to come next weekend. So it's, uh, it's, it's very tight still. It's very tight, but it's exciting, Sydney. It's exciting. It is. It certainly is. Uh, next weekend, then, uh, we've got uh, 10 fixtures to finish off the season. Not, not all at the same time. They're spread over. Spread over three days. But you've got Alaves against Cadiz, then Barca against Villarreal, Granada Espanol, Osasuna Mallorca, Real Madrid against Real Betis, Real Sociedad against Atletico, Sevilla against Athletic, Valencia Celta, Rayo Levante, and Elche against Getafe. Uh, dear listeners, thank you for keeping us company throughout the season. Next week's show is our final one of the campaign. But as we said, the Spanish football continues over at patreon.com forward slash TSFP. So why not consider uh, becoming a patron? If you don't, it's all right. Don't worry. We will be back one final time this season next Monday. So we'll speak then. Adios. Cheerio. 